What I realized is that taking action nullifies your fear. Keep hitting this mic, too. So by doing that, later I realized in analyzing what I was doing that stopped the fear that was building in me and made me a warrior. It took action. It took action. So now when I get out and now looking at other people, all that, that's the story that led me into what we call the offensive mindset. So yes and no to your statement. I acquired the combat mindset through successful experiences of combat, but originally this offensive mindset got triggered in me and that's why I began to be proactive. I wanted to walk point. I wanted to be in the front. I want, not because I was brave. It was just simply, I could make a decision. I, that's what bothers me. I have no problem following orders. I don't think any man does if you're intelligent, following intelligent people. But when you can't make a decision and life and death is absolute if you don't do it, then you need to get out of the way and let someone lead that, that, get it. that action. We are the David Johnson Show, bringing the veteran community stories and perspectives so you can design the life that you deserve. David Johnson show here at our Phoenix, Arizona studios. We are joined today by Jerry and Blake Peterson. Thanks guys for coming out. Yeah. Our, our pleasure. Yeah. I, um, I love these stories because th- these are lifelong stories that we're telling and, and you have a perfect story that plays into that, Jerry. It, it started when you joined the army, volunteered for the army during wartime in Vietnam and the experiences you had then. And then when you got out of the military, the path that put you on to dare I say, understand the human mind and fear and what causes fear, which ultimately led into you developing this course that has been adopted by the military and the SEALs, which we'll get into, and and the world over, and even into a civilian application. So I just, I can't wait to hear all about this. Start us off with you joining and volunteering for the military at 18, because I really think that that led you to go on this path in, in your life. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things, I, when I got out of high school, I immediately said, oh, I'm going to go to college. And so I went to college, got a college deferment. And so at that point, you know, the draft was on, but because I had a deferment, technically wasn't going to have to worry. Uh, I was going to be a fine artist, you know. In fact, I had a scholarship I offered to uh, Chouinard's Art School. So at that point, my mindset, you know, a typical 18-year-old kid, right? And then I started, a couple of my friends went in, a couple of them died, and then I started really thinking about it really quickly. And I got a close friend of mine, and we decided, hey, we're going to go into the military. So we went down, did the ROTC thing, took the test, didn't quite sign our name yet. And in that 48 hours between the test come and they say, come down, and you've passed, you can come in. I started thinking, I said, wait a minute. I says, if I volunteer, I have to spend four years active. But if I get drafted, I only have to do two years, right? So I started thinking, well, how does that make logic? So I went down to the draft board and I just walked in. There's nobody in there, of course. And I talked to the, the sergeant there and I says, look, can you volunteer for the draft? And I said, if I volunteer for the draft, can I pick my service? So the guy kind of smiled, had this big smile on his face, and said, you know, nobody's really asked me that question. He said, but you can do that. Interesting. I said, okay. Sign me up. I want to go Army. I want to go Airborne. 
you know, typical hard charging. 18 kid, 18-year-old yeah, yeah, kid has yeah. got a libido that's not quite formed. And yet, what year you know. was this that you joined? 67. 1967. Yeah. And uh, so I went in, went through it, uh, did the typical training, went through the Airborne, got a sign. It was really kind of interesting. So we're all standing at the, in, in formation at the graduation of the Airborne School, right? And they picked out and they said, okay, these people are going to the 82nd. This is the 101st, and then the... the you only had a says, few units you could go to. Yeah, and then he goes, and then they, it's kind of funny. He says, well, and then we got four guys, very fortunate to be assigned to the 173rd. And it was like, all of a sudden there's, why is this such a big deal that you only got four guys? So the 173rd is a special division. Anyway, so I... Went through that training, got assigned, went to, in 1968, went to Vietnam and was a, wow. put in a Charlie company. And uh, spent 15 months in the jungle. Wow. Uh, I probably had uh, 16, 17 uh, ambushes that I survived. Uh, I, we actually were, uh, had two presidential citations while we were there for some valor that we did. So. All that experience really led me to really think at a young age, why did these things happen and why do we feel the way we do? Meaning, here's a 19-year-old kid that went from a high school having fun and games and, to be blunt, walk out and you kill people. I mean, that's what war, that's what we do. That's what the soldiers are supposed to do. And so I saw extremely brave people. I saw, just for an example, we got ambushed uh, by two machine guns. And the sergeant that was there, Usted, uh, which, just the background on Usted, Usted was a hell's angel. Oh, wow. Nicest guy you'd ever want to know. Huh. He, was, he did everything. He was a smoking, brave man. Anyway, he's the closest to the ambush. He picks up two grenades charges the ambush, they see him, they literally cut him in half, but he held on the grenades and fell over onto the uh, machine gun and the two, two guys, the, the gooks that were there, and he blew him up, blew himself up too. He didn't have to do that. And so there's so many records of, the, of not, uh, and I speak only for the 173rd because that's the unit I was in. I can't speak for the rest. I know all guys are brave. Sure. But I'm just saying, I saw those events and many, many more events like that. And I saw guys be brave one moment and then freeze out of fear in another moment. I saw people literally convince themselves that they were going to die and become useless. And at that time, you, you, you didn't have an understanding of it yet. You were just there doing it. You're, you're put in the mix. It's years later when you start to have that understanding. But were you curious at the time? Was it just was it in your mind of why, what's causing this? Or were you just acting day to day and you didn't really know at that time? Well, I think, I think I, at, that, at that stage it wasn't that analytical. But there was a turning point where I, you have to choose whether you're going to be a victim or you're going to be the hero, right? So you have to either, and so I started volunteering more and more for point, and I, and I realized I liked to, to be in the point because I changed the mindset to the hunter. I decided I'm going to hunt people rather than walking through the jungle worrying about, are they going to get me? 
In other words, I changed the victim idea into the hunter. You want to go on the offensive. Right. And, and I started thinking offensively more and more. And I started gathering other guys around me. And we started talking about how to analyze, how to set up ambushes, how to, how to do these more aggressive things to eliminate people. And you slowly change. And this is what uh, I call a combat mindset. Right? So the combat mindset, if a man goes through enough combat and is successful, he accepts the fact that death is imminent. So once you take that worry away from you, you become a hero in a way. In other words, you become brave stupid, I call it. Right? Because what you're doing is you're saying, when that enemy comes up, I want to get him. You, you, you want to go after them. You don't have a problem killing them. You want to do it. It, sound, it. it sounds a bit on the offside. How long were you in the jungle before you started really understanding that concept? Because it doesn't come day one. Well, it does if you have an event. So we were just talking before camera about the first time that I had to kill a man, right? So it was the first day in country. Wow. The first actual day in the field. Uh, I was told, hey, don't worry about it. We're walking down this little little trail, right? And I mean, there's 68 of us. I mean, I'm in the middle of it. It's, you know, I'm a newbie. I'm the first day, right? I don't, I don't even, I'm looking around at the trees going, oh, this is neat, oh, the jungle, right? And uh, we get ambushed. So when you get ambushed, and, and we're walking through the jungle, and you're about 20, 30 feet apart at this thing, because you don't want to be close. So I, you know, I get ambushed, I drop my red sack, I get ready to move, I turn around, and this is something about how the mind worked, and it triggered something really quick in me. So I went down, and I got afraid. I got scared as shitless, to put it on a statement, right? And it irritated me so, mad, so much, I got mad. And I was looking around for advice. I'm looking like I've been trained. Look for someone to tell you what to do under this stress. Where's your sergeant? Well, there is none. So to the right of me, so the right, so, so this is 15 seconds, you know, and everything's getting cut down because, you know, you got nowhere to hide there. They had, you know, the, those, those bullets go right through those little plants, right? And so now I'm, I, I got this little crappy little rut sack that isn't going to stop nothing. And so I, I decided, screw it. What do, I, I got to do something. And this is the part of the offensive mindset that later comes through years of study through psychiatry and other stuff to find out these trigger points. But at that point, just off to the side, I see this Kit Carson. That's an ex-envy uh, that come down and they help us go through the jungle. And, and they're very, very sharp guys. Anyway, he looks at me. I look at him. He points. He gives me a signal to take action. And the, the not carry on great about the story. It ends up that uh, we were both charging the machine gun. It wasn't we were charging the machine gun directly. It was that the machine gun was pointing at our other guys, and we got around the back side of it. So we go running up, and about 15 feet from the machine gun, my uh, gun jams. Tough. And he's behind me, so I'm in front of him, so he really can't shoot. And so I just kept going. I hit the, the gunner itself and just rolled over, ended up, I took a rock and killed the guy. I mean, it, to not get into the bloody details of it. Sure. But it was all total aggression. I had no, no intent to do it, no, no thing. But what I realized, 
is that taking action nullifies your fear. Keep hitting this mic, too. So by doing that, later I realized in analyzing what I was doing that stopped the fear that was building in me and made me a warrior. You took action. It took action. Interesting. So now when I get out and now looking at other people, all that, that's the story that led me into what we call the offensive mindset. So yes and no to your statement. I acquired the combat mindset through successful experiences of combat, but originally this offensive mindset got triggered in me and that's why I began to be proactive. I wanted to walk point. I wanted to be in the front. I wanted, not because I was brave. It was just simply I could make a decision. I, that's what bothers me. Mm-hmm. I have no problem following orders. I don't think any man does if you're intelligent. Following intelligent people. But when you can't make a decision and life and death is absolute if you don't do it, then you need to get out of the way and let someone lead that, that, get it. that action. So 15, I mean, and I can only imagine the 15 months of uh, what you saw and everything you did, and we've chatted offline a lot, yeah. so, uh, and we could talk about that yeah. all day long, yeah, but I, I, I get it, and it, it's amazing, and I'm blown away. But So you got out, and then what started your journey then, the desire to understand everything you wanted to study about psychiatry? You said you wanted to become a psychiatrist. I uh, did. At breakfast. I did. And then, I, so you wanted to understand everything you saw in Vietnam, maybe. I don't know if that's the correct way to put it, but you I wanted did. to understand everything you saw and digest it. And then how did that path go? You're out now. What's next? So when I got out, I was 20 years old, right? Got r- immediately right back into the uh, <clears throat> college. And one of the major psychiatry, right? And I, I started off in the process. And as I went through the process, I started asking questions. You know, I said, well, I want to take this course about this kind of gestalt or this, this particular area of psychiatry. And I was looking for a place that wasn't so pseudo-intellectual, Meaning, uh-huh. I, I, I was, and that was my, my problem, is as I went through the reading of books and talking to the professors, all these professors, nobody had ever, uh, uh, nobody had killed anybody. Nobody had, had had to, it's, you know, it's easy to take a life, it's hard to live with it for the rest of your life. And I think that's what most warriors have to, have to say. It's not, it's not that the act, it's the fact that I got to live with it for the rest of my life. And, that, and therein, we're going to, we could talk about PTSD and stuff later on, how to reframe things. But so as I went through that, I found I can't, there's no information here about, mm. about the disassociation part. You know, like we talked a little bit about disassociation of the empathy factor. The empathy factor is the number one, should we say, personality killer of a soldier when he gets out, or it changes his personality immensely. And the, the empathy factor is when, in, in social environment, in a normal environment, empathy is a good thing. Empathy what makes social unity. It makes us get along. It makes us want to help people. 
And we, you know, you have empathy for your child. You have empathy for a stranger. You have empathy for an animal that they, if they get hurt, it makes you want to help them. The problem is in in a war society, and we're going to say it that way. It's 180 degrees from a civil society, and people don't really realize that civilian people don't realize, and even military people kind of convolute the two together. They don't really work together. If you do, you trigger memories and empathy factors that cause you to, to feel guilty or to react in a negative mm. way. And so it took years and years to, for me to go through the psychiatrist. I, I, didn't, I didn't become a psychiatrist. Uh, I didn't get a degree in that because... They didn't, I was looking for those factors of how a person can control fear. It wasn't just the empathy, it was the fear base. Now when I say fear, I'm not talking to, to us about the fact that, oh my God, the, you know, the car's coming at me, I'm going to die. That's one stage of fear. But when I say fear, I'm talking about doubt. Hesitations, mm -hmm. okay. questioning yourself. You get up in the morning and you say, oh, I got to do, I got to pay this bill. This is a simple thing. I got to pay this bill. Oh, God, I, I don't know if I should pay that bill. That, that is a part of a fear factor of the unknown. So anything unknown to the human causes your chemistry to change. Mm. And so the idea is to actually then go into a study of parapsychology to understand what part of the brain, right? So, so if I want to control anything to do with my nervous system and pain and blood flow, right, you, you drop into what they call a theta state, which is about four cycles a second. Now, this is just science, right? And you can do the alpha state. So I was fortunate right out of the military. I got hooked up with some Russians that had studied, uh, built the whole thing on parapsychology this before the science it was accepted as a science and so I got into the real scientific side of it not the fluffery side of of what you see today you know new age environment stuff so in SCARS in this thing we call SCARS special combat aggressive reaction we actually uh, teach people a process to start to control that part of your brain it, here's, a, here's an interface so Everything in the body is based off chemical balance. If our balance, the chemical balance is off, then we get sick. So where does that, where does that trigger point exist? It actually exists in the mind part in the alpha, theta, delta stage. So how often have you trained yourself? You've trained yourself to, to do mathematics or you train yourself to drive a car. But how often have you trained yourself to reset your chemical balance in your body mm -hmm. through your brain. In other words, how, who's taught you how to control your brain? So Just me, the brain side. Right, yeah, most people not much. <laughs> so this is a path, let me throw a wrench in. There's, a, there are, there's a parallel path in your life of you studying, mar studying uh, martial yeah, arts. Sure. So ultimately those paths came together is, is, is I think where we're going with this. Tell, tell me about the martial arts side of your life and, and how that started and briefly that path in your life. Yeah, a lot of people don't, they hear part of my history, you know, we've out on the videos and been doing it for, what, 
34 years, something yeah, like that, yeah. quite a long. The, so I started from my childhood. My dad knew jiu-jitsu, the old form, which is taught from Japan a long time. He wasn't, uh, you know, black. He was a street fighter. He was, uh, he, I, I can actually, he's a bad, he was a badass. You know, he was a tough guy. But he taught me all the dirty stuff, right? He taught me the arm breaking and the, all this at a young age, you know. But the first thing I learned at five years old was a palm to the nose, a chop to the throat, and a kick to the groin. That was my three combinations that I started at five years old. So I learned these combinations under these fighting. So I was always intrigued with martial arts. I mean, any, anybody that wants to learn any kind of organized defense, and I don't like the word, but when you do that, you think martial arts are boxing. I did them both. So the idea is I, I went out and I, and I sought out this. I got, uh, I'd, I grew up, I was the only white kid in school, let's put it that way, for two years. Uh, and, you know, my, I have no prejudice. You know, people, are, you know, I look at people, I said, you know, the only prejudice I got, you know, this is, I won't get into it. Now, I, my prejudice is red. That's the color of the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you, if you don't like them tough, I don't care. I'm not here to sell you on it. But that's my prejudice. I don't care about the color of your skin or the nature, uh, the nature of you. All, all men and all humans are created equal. Now, how their brain works and how their personalities develop, that's what I was interested in. Right. So, I kinda, so when it gets to the martial arts, yeah, I did the martial arts. And then I got out and I said, okay, I've unfortunately had to kill people with my hands. So why would I need to go to the martial arts, right? I mean, gee, I already proved to myself I'm a, I'm a, quote, badass. Well, I never thought I was a badass. Trust me, I'm not a big man. I'm not built to be a fighter, right? So I looked at that and I said, so I, I'm going to go out and try to find the best in the world. I, I got to refine myself. Martial arts. Martial arts, why? You're talking about it, but what was that kind of, more of a hobby, or were you already at that stage trying to marry the two worlds that you lived in from the psychology and the study of the human aspect and martial arts, or was one more of a hobby? At, that well, they're, they're, it, it grew. They kind of grew together. I did it right out of the military, kind of with business people I knew, gotcha. and then, you know, I went to different forms. They call them styles, you know, and then I started analyzing it. And then by studying uh, more advanced physics and geometry in college, I realized, look, th this doesn't make any sense. You got people that, that go to a martial arts world and they say, I'm going to learn this style. And they learn this style and then they get another style and another style. And they're always looking for that ultimate system. So after analyzing both, both the soft and hard, you know, the Chinese, the Japanese, the Korean, you know, the Hawaiian, the Filipino, which I actually like the Filipino stuff too, and uh, Okinawan, and all these different styles. I looked at all this different aspect, and I said, okay, where's the science? I'm not going to spend 20 years saying, ooh, I'm a master, and then find out that some guy with a knife or a gun can take me out because I wasn't trained. My, my art doesn't handle that. So that's where this, that's where the marrying came in of mm. geometry, human movement. So I found a process that, uh, that I coined as uh, Peterson's dominant process systems. 
that's about 35,000 hours of research I did from 1968 up to about 1987. And after that, I said, that's it. This is the science of human movement, the science of how humans can take their body and do anything with it that they need to. They can handle a gun, knife, club, multiple fights. And I took it to the government in that, you know, that, that's how I, I basically got invited to go talk to a group of uh, Navy SEALs. And after, that's just after I've already refined the science, refined the thing. And so I needed to find, I needed to prove this stuff. I needed two things. I needed, I needed to get, since I didn't get a psych, a psych degree, I couldn't go to the military and say, look, I want to sell you on a process of totally eradicating fear from the human mind. Let me stop you right there. You keep going. You said science uh, 30 seconds ago. Yeah. So from a high level, maybe the top three, science of the human body, because we talked about, a lot about that, the science of eradicating fear in your system, right. all the science around that. Am I, am I on the right track? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, everything has, for, for instance, when a person moves, there's a set of triangles that develop in the, in the bone structure of the body, and there's a thing called the tendon lock. And, and when you, uh, every, every joint creates a triangle, and there's a certain specific absolute triangle that the, it's pretty phenomenal how the body is made. It becomes extremely strong. So if you don't, but if you don't know these triangle locks and you don't know these certain things, then you are taught lessons. That's what martial arts is. And then you go out and try to apply them and guess what happens? They fail. So how was the reception when you took this to the military? Well, it was an, it, it, the, when I walked in the door, it was, a, it was an interesting reception. So um, the first guy I met was Lieutenant Commander Erskine, and he's a decorated Navy SEAL. Uh, and and he, sorry to interrupt, yeah. where in the time frame is this? What year is this around now? Well, where are we 1988, something like that. 87, maybe. Yeah, 87, 88, okay. Yeah. So you walk in there, you're about to present 35,000 hours of science. Well, actually, that I, uh, I had 35,000. 35,000 hours of studying yeah. science and this application. Right. It's actually, actually, that's, that is the, quote, you wouldn't even call it secret. In other words, the science and how I formulate things is mine. The program that I develop and train is theirs to use. So the question is, there was a, I had already figured out it takes 1,200 hours to create a subject matter expert. In other words, in total human control. That, now, when I say that, it's just not hand-to-hand. That's using guns and knives and clubs and dri- driving and jumping and handling people in planes and handling in people in half-tracks and handling multiple occursions. Anything to do with it from tactics to actual physical application of close quarter combat. So this whole thing was to to find people that could be subject matter experts gotcha. so I could deliver it to the government and say, here you go, I'm gone. Now, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I, I got you off track. How was the reception? Because you initially took this your first time oh. here in front of the lieutenant commander and, and, yeah. and yeah. go, I want to... Yeah. Well, the, the way it worked out is he, he basically said, I don't want to... I'm done learning all this martial arts shit. The, we've, we've had it done for 20 years since I've been here. He says, I've heard about it. There are people trying it. And, and I didn't even put my hand out yet. And so I said, good. I'm not here to teach the martial arts shit. I'm here to teach you pure combat, lethal combat application. 
And he kind of looked at me and says, okay, show me. And I said, all right, get a knife. <laughs> so we got a K-bar. I said, stick it in my throat, hold it to my throat, and I'm going to show you that it's impossible for you, you to stab me. Well, now that big eyes go green. And now they, I said, get a medic. I mean, the worst you're going to do is, is what? You know, cut me, right? It's a tongue shot. It's not going to kill me. So, okay, fine. I mean, these guys are hard chargers. You know, right, you, right. I mean, this is behind a door. This isn't out in the public. I mean, this is an interview. You've got to look at it this way. They're not going to, in, in the stage that I was being offered, they're not going to say, oh, let's just let the guy try it out and, and train, you know, a thousand guys and then find out it's, it's crap, right? So anyway, I said, here you go. Stick it in there. And, and so I showed him this move. And he went to do it, and it didn't work. You know, he didn't. So he gets even angry. So again, so five times I let him stick the knife in my throat, and five times I pushed him away, and, and he goes, what, what are you doing? And I said, so now I'm going to show you the science. So said, this whole thing is about the geometry of human movement and vectors. And, I, and he goes, what do you mean? So I slowed it down, put it down in there, and I says, okay, now that you know the... The reason? You and your buddy do it. So now I take, a, in, in less than, I'd say, three minutes, you take somebody that knows nothing, and you stick a lethal weapon, and you say, it's impossible for you to use that lethal weapon against the other. So now they're doing it to each other. So what, I wasn't there, but what they said is that uh, they walked into the admiral at that part and then told the admiral, I'm going to stick this in my throat. <laughs> and so, that, and all of a sudden, they said, who is this guy? And so from that point, they, uh, they said to me, all right, well, I'll tell you what, we're, we have to test this. So w would you be willing to come down and for three months, we would like you to offer an open course and we'll send guys in to see if you know what you're talking about. <laughs> so... For three months, I had guys coming in wanting to kick my ass. To, to, to prove to, you wrong. To prove me wrong. And, and you know, it, I never lost my temper. I never did anything I, because I just used my temper. I'm not there to, to show people the, how good I am. That's, that's nonsense. I'm there to make them good. So you passed the first uh, sniff test. Oh, yeah. Then they said, come in. We're, we're going to send a bunch of guys in, train them. Let's see this in real life, or let's see the results. Right. And then what was after that? Well, then, the, then there was a, uh, a request for buds. Now, I was just training the SEAL side. And so I didn't really want to train buds. You know, I mean, I, was, I wasn't there to, to, to train recruits in that respect because I, didn't, I, I felt I didn't need to. Right, I just wanted the trained guys to be lethal. So, and they'd already, you know, once you get into the teams, you know, you kind of been already vetted, right? So I knew who I was dealing with. So anyway, they had, they asked me about five times, would you bid, would you bid on the buds thing? Would you bid on the buds thing? And so the bottom line is, they started telling me who they were going to get in buds to kind of promote, you know, it, it was kind of a sell gimmick, right? Hey, get in the seals and learn how to protect yourself, mm. the dead, you know, man with no weapon, right? He's just all there. empty hands, I'm a deadly soldier, yeah. right? Yeah. And so uh, I, once I find out, I says, oh, I don't want to do that because once they go through buds, they're going to have this training that's incorrect. And by the time they get to the SEALs, I'm going to have to reassociate all this, especially on the offensive mindset mm. part. 
So anyway, I bid on it. I won the bid. And it took, uh, basically, I built a whole program to train uh, in buds. Uh, wow. It was, uh, I'd lasted about nine years there developing the program and then wow. uh, developed a force multiplier. Uh, you know, it got into a subject matter expert school, trainer, trainer. Um, at one time, one in 10 Navy SEALs was a subject matter expert, went through a 300-hour hand-to-weapon course that, that I developed. And that my job was, it, it, my original job to go back was, we're just going to show these guys some basics. But then it got into, because I was a combat vet, and because the unit that I was in and the company I was in had a high reputation with the guys, they opened the door to me mm. and said, Could, do you know this? And so I was teaching water techniques. It used to be a joke, you know, go into the water and, you know, do knife fighting in the water. They used to laugh about it until I came along, right? And then I, I took the, a team out and I says, look, you guys know how to swim. I'm just a 47-year-old guy, right? I says, I'm going to swim out there and you, you go out there and, and take me under. And <laughs> I swam back and they're all gagging because... There's a science to fighting what we call zero-G effect, zero-gravity effect. There's a way you use the body. It's different than standing in a normal one. So because a science can be applied to any action movement, right? I get it. See, you're not limited, and that's why we call it the full human control. We call it the science of human control. I'm the guy that corned, you know, corned it. Coined that. Coined, coined it, it, I guess yeah. we can call yeah, it. Coined yeah, coined it. Yeah, right. So, wow. So you spent, I mean, nine years in, in that environment, in the SEALs, officially your, your program being adopted. Right. And then let's, let's fast forward a little bit. We, it's turned into now a civilian application. It did. I, I've heard people from all over the world flying into this. You have courses, or I don't know if courses are right, where you have seminars that, that, that people attend. And let's introduce Blake. I call this the, the father-son duo here. I mean, and you talk about learning from your father at five years old. I remember the very first yeah. time we ever met at, at Blake's house, and, and you talked about you were putting Blake's hand. When he was still in his crib, you were literally right. putting Blake's <laughs> hand in certain uh, yeah. uh, positions to start training him as a baby. Yeah, I was actually triggering his neural system Yeah. So to uh, develop the high coordination skills later on that happened. You know, I would just call it abuse. It's pretty yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. He'd basically. be bruised. So, yeah. Blake, I mean, how was it growing up with uh, Jerry as your father? Yeah, it was pretty intense. And, uh, you know, we did a lot of, of stuff. He kind of threw me into it at 16, said, hey, you're, you're going to do homeschool and go out uh, on this island with me for 30 days and do all this training. And wow. it, it, was, yeah. it was intense, at least for me, maybe not the guys, but I was so young. And then from there, we just kind of grew it in the uh, mid to late 90s. You know, we did uh, a video series and created all these seminars and stuff that we actually gave the civilian world a chance to, to come and train and actually learn and hear from him, like, about reality of, you know, a lot of people see the movies and they're like, oh, this is how it's supposed to go down. But um, how do you take this science and make it applicable to not just fighting but your entire life and how wow. you can utilize uh, the training to realize maybe I, I'm making these decisions out of fear versus or defense versus uh, the positive or the proactive side of, of things. So 
now that's kind of where we've gone with it. You know, we're still developing, uh, you know, handle weapon training programs and various like, you know, stuff that fill in the gaps for everybody. Sure. But, but when people come through the seminar or get the training, it's really about the mind and weight, you know, because it's so off the wall as far as things goes. I, I, I've talked to two people uh, that have been through your uh, course, one mutual friend of ours, who actually how we got introduced, uh, right. Jay. Yeah. And uh, I asked two people, you know, what, um, what did you get out of the course? I mean, what's one thing you got out of Both of them don't know each other. Both of them said, what just changes your life? Yeah. And you just see this look in their eyes like, what does that mean? I mean give me yeah. something. What, you know, yeah. what does that mean? Yeah. You got to come to the course. Uh, I'm going to come. I'm going to come. <laughs> so if somebody signs up for your seminar, what, what, yeah. what, what do they get out of it from a, from a high level? Obviously, it changes their life. But yeah. what, do, are, do they come in? Obviously, they have some kind of expectation. They right. saw your website. They must have read something. They must have yeah. signed up, obviously. What, what do they kind of expect? And what do you think that when they actually graduate, Usually, get? you know, like a lot of the guys see the movements and they understand, oh, I, I get the science or I get that it's offensive. So they, they've kind of got an, ass, an idea that they're, what they're going to learn and the aspect of, of what they're going to come out with. But the reality is, is once you get in there and you're, you know, being taught by both of us, uh, we really show you like the, how to control your, your mind and how your brain, how your, your mind controls your brain and like right now when I'm talking you're, you're saying God this guy's crazy in your head or, or I should you know my shoes are too tight but, so those are the kind of things <laughs> all the above yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so these are all things that people don't realize they're saying that it is creating a negative impact on their life and, and their actions and so we, we break that down in the camp you know with all sorts of things like you know 30 guys the whole camp smashes you against the wall and you gotta figure out how to walk out of it so the, and you're the, doing that in the course. I mean, yeah. you're getting smashed. Oh, yeah. yeah, and then yeah, you got, you're, you're, getting, and it's yeah. you're getting thrown. Yeah. And but, but it's science. And so like you say, look, all you have to do is put your hand out this way and do that, and you'll walk right through the whole crowd. Interesting. And so, but fear kicks in in those types of situations in the real world, and you realize, oh, man, uh, the, I feel the 3,000 pounds of body weight. I can't move, you know, and chaos sets in the mind. And so we, we're putting you in that environment without getting hurt and then showing you, hey, you're just lying to yourself because you can get out of it, you know. And so. Are there levels of this? Uh, yeah. yeah. What, what does that mean? Well, okay. I'll inject yeah, on a level thing here. Uh, one of the misnomers of, of science, and it, it's, the, it's going on the old Thomas Dewey theory of uh, advanced ed education, right? Repetitive learning skills. So that's a misnomer. I use a thing called gestalting. The human mind, the human mind can assimilate over 800 words a second and know all of it. Think about that for a second. <laughs> for a right. second, you just, you've got, just had a... So why is it that it takes so long for people to learn things? Because you're, you're being inputted incorrectly. So I, 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 I'm the only guy that's ever do it. I take the thing called gestalting, which is an old German psychiatrist, right? And basically, what I, it's, I kind of modify it a little bit. And what I do is I saturate your mind. We give you lesson after lesson, information after information. We, we're not, we don't want you to memorize. That's what we say, right? Don't memorize, you, don't memorize anything that we're going to teach you. you say, That's not necessary. What you want to do is learn the science. It's like everybody can count to a million, but nobody ever does it. <laughs> Why is that? Takes because it takes too long, <laughs> but you know how. Why do you know how? Because you follow a certain science. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to take the, the complication or the lie that somehow humans are so complicated, 
you should fear all the things that they should do because you can never predict what another man's going to do. Well, the truth of the matter is there is a constant. It's a science. And it's something we, we keep off the side. But there's a science. There's a constant that we look at. As scientists, we look at the human in their state of movement, whatever they're doing. It doesn't matter what you're doing, whether it's in business or not. There's a certain science of how you're going to think and what's your process. And it's constant. It doesn't ever change. You change, right? They change. We get all these different, quote, personalities. But underlining that, where it all counts, is this constant that exists that makes us the most powerful creature that ever walked the face of the earth. But because we don't teach people how to access it early in life, we get guys that come to us at, what, 40, 30, 50, even, what, 70? 67. Right? We actually had a guy, 80 years old, come in and told me he was, he, he was an old farmer out of thing, hard leather guy. He was 80. He said he was 65. Well, he looked like it. He did. And, and he took off. He beat up everybody. He's just a leathery old guy. guy Guy. Yeah. So to that point, is there, yeah. a, is there a profile of the students you have come through your course? No, it's really hard Everybody. to say. I mean, it's, it's all walks of life, and you'd be surprised at who. And that's kind of like the military. You know, you get your you teammate or whatever exactly. is like, everybody. you know, completely, you know, you're not sure what he would really do, and then he impresses you. And so that's kind of how the whole camp is. You have, know? You, have you seen an underlying theme of why people sign up and come to the course? Uh, it all what come, motivates people to come? Yeah, I mean, it all really does come back to that fear, fear thing, you know. As far as, and and maybe it's an attraction to like the lessons and the science, like I said earlier. But, but it's overwhelmingly ends up being the the fear process, you know. So, what do the next uh, one or two years look like for you, Blake? And and the course, you just charging ahead, keep keep putting on yeah, these seminars, keep moving yeah. forward, and maybe developing some new stuff to help with just focus on that that fear elimination we actually started uh if i can interject yeah, yeah. Uh, about what is it 2004 wasn't it 2004 when we did the order yeah right so prior to the order um we were putting on seminars you know we'd put out a seminar to civilian world and say look we'll offer you um you want to learn like the navy seals learn you know you, so what's the difference between what we teach the military and what we teach civilians the difference is, so here, here's an idea, a quick, a quick concept. So under a threat, under a direct threat, you have to move to save your life. You either pull the trigger, you shoot one bullet, you hit the guy in the head, he's dead. That's the idea. You don't want them to do it anymore. You don't want them to shoot back, right? So you try to get better and better at certain things. So under, there's a, a combat principle of what we call hand-to-weapon training which means we want to teach a person to eliminate a life within three moves. Hmm. If he's in contact, he has three moves to do, and that guy has to be dead. That's with your empty hand. Then you could have it with a gun, and you could have a gun in your hand. It doesn't matter. But we, we evolve that into what we call the, that's the, what we call pre-deployment training for Navy SEALs themselves. So we, but on a learning cycle like the Bud Skies, we would break it down into what we call a five-set move. So in other words, you've got five moves to do, and then you take the guy's line. So 
Why do we do that? Because in the five sets, there's many choices to do where you don't kill the person. You just knock him out. You knock his air out. You put him on the ground. You break his So the arm. term you've said a little before, a little less lethal. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's a little less lethal, but they still learn it. Right. So when we teach civilians, we bring it into that five to six move range so it gives us more time to train the civilian how to make choices do i need to hurt this person a whole lot or do i you know like i'm in a carjacking situation so i'm sitting in a car right so a guy gets in with a gun and points a gun at me most people think that's a big threat but if you know the science behind human control in that situation based on the geometry limitations you have a 96 96 chance pretty much anything you do that you can turn that gun and kill that guy hmm. i mean it, it, you, that's how high it is if you know the science so why wouldn't you do something to protect yourself right. but see your fear says oh my god this guy's going to kill me well if you believe he's going to kill you then what are the chances of you actually doing something rational right at that point you too much fear yeah so we wow. t- we train your brain how to not to click over on that side wow. well Blake, I know you guys are heavy online. I see, I see your stuff. Where, where, where can people find you and learn more about this? Uh, basically at scars.com. We're probably one of the first websites out there that we're lucky enough to get that acronym. Awesome. So yeah. it's pretty simple, straightforward. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you guys on the show. I can't wait to attend the course. Just let me know yeah. when the next one is. All right. Yeah, we, awesome. want, we want to see you all bruised up. <laughs> yeah, you'll throw me around for sure. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Right. Thanks for Thank coming you. on. All right.